0: Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm
1: Faisal Carmel, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? Uh,
0: uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Um, when markets go higher, my mood tends to cheer up a little bit because people tend to be higher. But we also had some. Uh, we came off a fantastic conference, uh, where we had some terrific uh, speakers, um, and I found it. Uh, I found it really encouraging.
1: Can, can we talk about? Um, we had. We got the opportunity to speak to the former ambassador to Russia. Mm-hmm former U.S. American, ambassador. US yeah. ambassador to Russia, when we were on our conference in Italy. And um, the thesis that came around from a geopolitical risk perspective is that it's gonna be here for a while. Mm-hmm. That's that's the one key point that he made, it's not gonna end anytime soon. <clears throat> since that, that session, and since we've been back, um, the markets have had, again, more volatility, and mm-hmm. we've had earnings release this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the top tech companies, uh, a lot of them cause some disruption, excuse me, disruption, disappointment to to shareholders uh, from their expectations. Uh, and welcome to volatility again.
0: Now, before we go into the details of that, cause I think there's lots we can talk about, about this week. Let's talk about the show because we've got an interesting, uh, this is an interesting lineup. Um, there's lots of people that um, can probably take advantage of a disability tax credit, but don't even, it's so hard to navigate some of these things. So we're gonna bring on a physician, a doctor, a family doctor that can help understand what the requirements are and how to do that. Um and we've also got to talk about smart tech some smart technologies. Now, technology, you just said, has been under pressure, but let's face it, technology is the wave of the future in so many areas, including helping people as we age.
1: It's funny how you say that because technology has always been the future. Right. There hasn't been a generation where technology hasn't advanced. Correct. The speed of it difference, yep. but technology has always advanced. And so when you look at this week that we saw in the markets, Dave, with these tech earnings. The major, we call them the Fang stocks, have all come out with their earnings and so forth. Give me your take. Well, how did how did this week go?
0: <clears throat> well, they all disappointed. You know, the question this week, um, from an earnings perspective, largely was about can big tech, big U.S. tech, justify valuations, and the answer is no, they couldn't for the most part. Apple came out on Friday, um, and you know they might be the the difference, but advertising slowing, you're seeing digital ad sales go down right? That whack Google, that whack uh, Facebook, or uh, the new meta, Snapchat, right? Um, But that's only one piece of the story. Lots of other companies are beating their earnings estimate. In fact, the vast majority of companies are exceeding their earnings uh,
1: estimates. 75% of those have reported have actually exceeded their expectations in the the S&P 500. There's still some outstanding to go uh, over the next couple of weeks on some earnings numbers, but overall, this Catastrophic earnings recession hasn't arrived yet. That's right. Doesn't say it won't. <laughs> and but then it hasn't the bank. Yet. And then the Bank of Canada surprises everybody. Yep. It's supposed to be three quarters of a percent increase. Nope. Only fifty basis points. Why do you think that is?
0: Well, I. You know, the the risk of a of a policy mistake by any central bank right now is the pace at which they're raising rates, because there's a lag time, right? It can be up to twelve or eighteen months to see how these increased rates filter through the economy. Now the problem is they got behind as you and I know and all of a sudden they're racing to, racing to catch up and so effectively they took a giant sledgehammer, right? Think of Bank of Canada, at a 1% move, never mind the 0.75 we had last um, and they just started bashing stuff to try to break it. Yeah. Right? Break wages, break bring down inflation, stop demand. Bank of Canada which has led quite frankly all the G10 in terms of their hawkishness and the aggressiveness at which they've uh, they've set that pace. Now they pause, so there's clearly some evidence that they're seeing that the economy is responding, i.e. slowing, to what their policy uh, decisions have done. Still have to see inflation cracking, but you're starting to see some of that. So I think what they're doing is they're slowing it down.
1: Inflation is cracking though. It It is cracking. cracking. It it is cracking, so they're seeing some signs of it. They forecasted their their target rate of around two to 3% um, closer to 2024 versus 2023. They,
0: well, into 2023, they said 2.8% that last quarter.
1: Correct. And then 2024, 2.2%. Yeah. So there's still inflation going to be around for a bit. It's yeah. not going to be as high right. as it was this year. Right. Next year, it's going grow, to grow by potentially 4% to 5%. On average. What, on on average. average. Yeah. And that still is inflation, but it's not as bad as it used to be. And moving in the in the, moving in moving the direction
0: they want. So Bank of Canada goes to 50 um, Does it? You know, fifty in December or twenty-five, so and then, fifty
1: basis points being half a percent. Half a percent, so, for yeah, our audience, yeah, you know?
0: exactly. So it's more of a, they're, they're they're taking that giant sledgehammer, fifty basis points, still a lot. So it's a little sledgehammer right now, and then they're going to try to get more nuanced in when what they're doing. When does that
1: sledgehammer turn into a knife? Turns into a paring knife. When do you? Well, we'll, we'll see in December. We'll see in December. So what I mean by that for our viewers and listeners is, at some point, they got they at one point they got very aggressive and started smashing rates. Uh, and, and letting it grow as fast as it is. And then at some point, they're going to start to do some small tweaks along the way. That's a signal for me saying, okay, we are bottoming economically speaking. That means the markets have already uh, announced that. That's what I was surprised about this week, going mm-hmm. back to our earnings conversation. Did we expect these major technology companies, especially the ones that look at advertising, to be at higher advertising push? Did the market actually expect that? Apparently, some did. That's why they got got hit with it. Did we expect the foreign currency would not impact the bottom lines of companies like Apple and Microsoft? Microsoft, Of course, they're going to do. Why did the market miss this? Who's investing in a company that says it needs to be at the same as it was 2021 versus 2022 when the US dollar's taken off, when interest rates have done what they've done, when there's been an economic slowdown, we're still seeing... um, uh, uh, parts of China basically shutting down completely. What? Right. What did the market miss there? And when I look at the bond market and these companies specifically, they nailed it. Mm-hmm. They got it right. Yep. Very interesting move. So I want to talk about this later on in the show uh, a bit more is about how people are positioned in their portfolios, uh, especially if you're approaching retirement or living in retirement, because yep. that's a sensitive timing period that people have. But I think this is where we get into a very interesting time. And I think that these earnings, regardless if they're technology or any other industry, and you're going to see some good numbers coming out from other industries, energy, industrials, consumer staples, and so forth, that are going to be surprising to many. They weren't giving them the respect. And I yeah. think they, they uh, overestimated in some t- uh, sectors of the of, of industries and under uh, valued others. And it's very interesting when I, mean, I shot, yeah. I put a, a, a piece of paper on your desk this week, Dave, and I said, take a look at the valuations of every sector, U S and Canada. And there are certain sectors that we call defensive sectors. When interest rates rise, when, when markets are volatile, when people are concerned and they don't go into bonds, what are the bond like stocks? Right. Is that an okay. Way of saying it. And I look, when I showed you that paper, the valuation of those companies are are above their twenty-year average. Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. And the technology is selling off by being above their uh, their average.
1: So maybe defensive stocks are not going to be as defensive anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's the rotation, and I think people need to be careful about that. Right? You um, these all-in bets that people want to make can be can be very very um, problematic. And the bond market starting to represent an opportunity now too. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've got a terrific guest today. Uh, Dr. Jennifer Campos is Associate Scientific Director at AgeWell. Will be joining us talking a little bit about what the organization does and how it supports people as we age and all of the initiatives that they've got on the go.
1: This is not the first time that we've had AgeWell nope. on our show. I think it's very important to understand the background of what they do. Um, I think part of it, what they do is the technology side. They actually introduce... Uh, different types of technology I've used their their research and their information to help our clients with hey guess what else is out there Mm -hmm. Um, it's not just what you normally hear every day they're kind of like the best buy for for a demographic (laughs) you know you could want to find out what's different what's new you go on the best buy website they're like the best buy when it comes to what's new for technology I think it's really cool Dr. Jennifer Campos thank you for joining us today
2: it's my pleasure it's so nice to be here
0: all right. Well, there's a heck of a setup for you. You've got the best by definition. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll let you define age well versus phasal versus, uh, defining it, Jen. Maybe just give us some background.
2: Sure. So uh, AgeWell is a national network uh, across Canada. It's made up of researchers. We have about 250 researchers across 50 organizations and research institutes. We have over 400 partners from industry, policymakers, uh, practice informers. Um, And we have a really uh, sort of rich and diverse group of new innovators. So our trainees, uh, graduate students, uh, postdoctoral fellows who are contributing to these new innovations, and and probably most importantly, part of our network includes uh, older adults um, and care partners to older adults who are informing every aspect of what we do. And and what we do is we... um, Develop novel uh, technologies for the aging population. We validate those technologies through state-of-the-art research techniques, and we try to ensure that those technologies move from the lab to life, or from development to adoption, commercialization, and adoption. And so, uh, we, you know, when you think about age tech or age technologies, they really run the gamut, and they could. You know, start from very basic apps that you might download on your smartphone, little reminder systems for reminding you to take your medications, for example. They may be digitally assisted services. Um, Perhaps it's something like cognitive or physical uh, training that can be done over some uh, video conferencing systems, all the way up to social robots, automated vehicles, and virtual reality.
1: Well, you caught that one on my attention. Automated vehicles, because my business partner beside <laughs> me, uh, not because of aging well, well, because he's terrible <laughs> at driving. So I'm really interested at this one. Um, the automated vehicles has been a buzz throughout the, the tech industry, uh, more and more getting crossed over into some cities and provinces. Federal governments around the world are talking about How the heck are we gonna implement something like this on the everyday road? What is the technology research that you're finding when it comes to automated vehicles and how does it help, especially that demographic that wanna age well?
2: Great question. So there's obviously a lot of pros and potential cons for automated vehicles. There's huge potential. Um, When we think of the potential for an aging population, I think it's obvious. Um, Most older adults, of course, are very safe drivers, um, but there may be a point in some people's lives where due to a sensory impairment, for example, or a cognitive impairment, a physical impairment, um, that they're no longer able to drive. And that is a really um, dramatic change in someone's lifestyle if they have their license revoked. Uh, they they lack autonomy, Uh, they're very dependent on others, Um, it can change the way that they they view their ability to participate in society, um, contribute, stay active. And so, of course, automated vehicles provide this really exciting potential to allow people to continue to be um, independently mobile uh, for much longer, even if they are experiencing um, some of these declines or impairments. Now, the problem is, is that automated technologies are uh, vehicle technologies are not there yet. So we know um, that even, you know, the current uh, most uh, sort of state of the art models still require a human to be in the driver's seat. And that's because uh, there will be system failures. Um, It is it is an imperfect system at the current time. And so The issue with putting someone in a driver's seat that, for example, has a cognitive impairment um, such as dementia and who may no longer be able to drive a manual vehicle on their own is that they have to be able to take over that vehicle in the case of a failure. And what happens when you're a user of an automated vehicle is that uh, it takes um, it, it. You are perceived, you perceive it to take away all the responsibilities from you as the driver, you think that it's fully automated, which means that you no longer pay attention to the things that you need to pay attention to when you're normally driving, we call this situational awareness, you kind of lose all situational awareness. And so in that situation, when a takeover request is uh, commanded by the vehicle, your ability to then take over control of the vehicle, be aware of your surroundings, understand what you have to do to control that vehicle in a way to move it into a safe space is going to be worse actually than if you were manually driving that vehicle um, itself when your situational awareness would necessarily have to be right on the road. And so the issue here is that It has a huge potential, but at the current time, it still has a lot of risk. So we've actually done some research on this topic um, using a couple different strategies. One, first of all, is to understand what older adults' impressions are and what their acceptance is of automated vehicle technologies, because if there isn't large acceptance, um, if they're not keen on using it anyways, then it changes the discussions and it changes the development strategies. And so we did some some research and, and, and discovered that older adults by and large the ones who we sort of interviewed and surveyed actually did see the potential of automated vehicles, but were concerned about the potential safety risks. Um, but at uh, the Toronto Rehabilitation Institute, which is where I'm a scientist, uh, we have Canada's most advanced driving simulator. So this is a, um, a full, uh, uh, vehicle, passenger vehicle. It's completely surrounded by a 360 degree virtual environment projection system. It's on a big motion platform and it has the ability to simulate challenging conditions such as rain um, and nighttime and glare of of incoming vehicles. And so we actually put older adults in the driver's seat um, of an automated vehicle um, to see uh, how they would be able to, for example, perform a takeover request um, under these different challenging situations. And we found that in older adults who, in fact, actually had healthy cognition but had a range of cognitive abilities, that the older adults who had poor cognitive abilities were less able to perform that takeover request um, which gives some indicators that um, with the current state of this technology um, that concerns remain.
1: So Jen, let's talk about um, what needs to happen now. What's the next steps in order to make automated vehicles become a reality in our life? What's the next step that needs to be, uh, or hurdle that has to be overcome?
2: Well, obviously all of the major technical hurdles about you know, getting automated vehicles to the point that they are truly and fully automated. So there's a lot of um, very smart people working um, and have been working for many years on trying to solve this difficult problem. Quite honestly, I mean, I'm a psychologist, but, um, you know, there is no substitute for the human brain. So trying to create an automated system that can predict all aspects of a driving situation and act accordingly is an extremely difficult problem to solve. So the first thing is the technical issues. Something you already alluded to is obviously the infrastructure issues. So when we when we're talking specifically about an older adult population, it's not just about getting someone from A to B, but it also involves what happens when they get to B and when they have to get back to A. So for an example, if an older adult um, with dementia uses their automated vehicle to go to the grocery store, Um, how do they, how do we ensure that they don't get lost going to the grocery store when they get there? How do we ensure that they find their vehicle, that they have the physical ability to load their groceries back into their vehicle and then understand what it means to get home again? And so it's, 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 it's a tool in the arsenal of what we can do to facilitate independence and autonomy, Um, and mobility, but it has to be understood in the context of all of these other infrastructure and um, support services that need to come along with the technology.
0: Jen, we're gonna have to leave it there. Fascinating topic. Um, I I suspect there's lots to talk about over time and we'll keep in touch with you on this. I wanted to thank you for sort of uh, bringing to light where we are on that particular issue. I think that'll be of interest to a lot of of, uh, Canadians as they get older. Uh, buy and hold strategies, my friend, in an, an environment like this, um, can be catastrophic.
1: So let's kind of explain why it can be a big concern. We have seen some big drops uh, in uh, in people's portfolios uh, this year. A lot of the viewers and listeners have been showing us their portfolios, looking for second opinions uh, from their current advisor or when they're doing it themselves. Many are down, you know, double digits uh, and high double digit numbers. Uh, I've spoken to some American hedge fund managers. Mm-hmm. They're down 50%, 60% on their portfolios. It is a tough go. Mm-hmm. Now, I hear, here's part of the problem that I see happening from where we are today. We can't fix what happened before. So you have your portfolio. It's down, let's call it 15%, 20%, whatever it is. Most pension plans, down 20%. Okay? So you're down 20%. I talked to pension managers. What the heck are you going to do from this point going forward? Yeah. The concept of just hold on to what you own and things will work out has some merit. Okay? I would agree. What merit is that is the valuation of those companies, the value of those companies will recover. The question is how long? How long? That's right. And and so let's qualify that. Assuming they're good companies,
0: right? There are companies that will not Absolutely. survive this. Absolutely. Right? That will go to zero.
1: And I, And I believe that a lot of our peers in the industry are providing good companies to their clients. Mm -hmm. I don't believe they're buying junk companies. And let's take that as the premise, okay? Let's start with that as a baseline. So let's say you're looking at your portfolio, you're sitting down with your advisor or you're doing it yourself, and the concept of just hold on to what you have, it'll recover. So let me give you some some stats here. A portfolio falls 20%. Mm -hmm. The forecast by many economists, as well as uh, chief investment officers, say the next few years, expect five, six, seven percent rate of returns. And seven is aggressive. I just put that number in there. Use five. Let's use five. If you've lost 20 percent, and your recovery rate is five percent on average, it will take you just about four years, if not five years, to recover, just to break even.
0: Yeah, and, and before you move on from that point, you're absolutely right, but remember a 20% fall, the recovery is asymmetric, right? People forget that. So it takes
1: 25% return to get back to where you were. So you're at $100, you go down to 80 bucks right. because you lost 20%, you need 25% on that $80 just to get back to 100 bucks. right? That could take five years. That's right. Okay, <clears throat> do you have five years just to break even is the question. That's where a lot of paralysis in this market's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I look at volume trades, how many people are actually moving or turning their portfolio, and they're going to say, just hold on, just hold on, just hold on, just hold on. Again, the strategy has merit. The timing is up to the, the plan that you put together. Right. If you need that money in the next five years, you don't have time for recovery. Right. So what about the, that, that growth you're looking for to recover? You need that five years to be condensed.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to challenge your idea of merit. <laughs> okay. I'm going to simply say it's an option. Okay? okay. Okay. Merit versus option. And maybe that's a bit nuanced, but the um, as markets move, we know that opportunities present themselves in different areas. Amen. And so the trouble that I have with this idea of buy and hold is... Um, is you don't look at where the mispricing opportunities are, right? And it's a bit like being in the real estate market, right? People for so long in Calgary, oh, I sell my house, I took a loss from what I bought it for in 2006 or seven, right? Mm-hmm. So that hurts, I get it. But they bought a different house in a bit be- in a better house in a better neighborhood. Now they got that at a discount, so they feel good about that. When the recovery happens, where do you get the bigger recovery in the in the value of the property? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same idea, but people miss that. They get anchored to where they're at or p-
1: paralyzed. So, so I'll tell you our industry, Dave, has said, buy, hold, it'll work out a long term. Some of the best money managers, let's pick Warren Buffett, has been a, a professor of this strategy. And he's right. Now, Warren Buffett does not invest money for Berkshire because Berkshire is going to retire in the next five years right. or they're retired now and they need money for their retirement. Right. That's not their thesis. So I'm not saying Warren Buffett's wrong. What I'm saying is Warren Buffett's objectives are different than what an indi- individual who's transitioning to or living in retirement's objectives are. Right. Okay. But Bor- B-
0: Buffett's also active. Make no mistake. He'll hold positions for long times. He'll trim. He'll add. Okay. He also gets things that you and I are never going to see. The average investor well, when yeah, comes we'll are never distressed and so on and so forth. So he is active. Don't absolutely.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when I find individuals who have portfolios and I talk to them and they're like, "Well, I've been told to this- Hold on to my positions; yeah. they'll recover. Or I have, I know these companies; they're gonna, pick, you know, they have yeah. that that emotional connection to it. Yeah. Okay, I, I I get that. I and I don't I don't think that's the right way of doing it, but I get that. Okay. So then I ask him this question. I'll pick on you, Dave, because you're, um, well, you're cheap. So um, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> let's go through this. You are a person who looks for opportunities or deals when it comes to travel. Mm-hmm. You're, you've traveled lately, you're looking for other places to travel around the world, especially in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, do you just buy whatever ticket that's out there on a plane?
0: No, so being value conscious. Cheap.
1: <laughs> we were going through this
0: exercise, my wife and I just recently. Yeah. Um, and so different airline it was very interesting. I'll, I'll make it very quick. The answer is we looked all over the place and uh, we we actually decided to change our, our destination, our trip slightly, because we could uh, we could fly into a different destination, spend a couple of days there significantly less than if we flew to our original destination straight
1: away. So you found some value by tweaking your itinerary Absolutely. or your plan? Absolutely. Okay, I'm gonna use that, that same concept when I speak to people who want second opinions on their portfolio. And they say, what, what should I do? I go, what's your strategy? If you find value somewhere else, why aren't you going there? Bingo. If you find opportunity somewhere else, why do you hold on to something waiting for it to recover when there's other opportunity? When you hold, so when you buy, hold, and hope it works out, mm-hmm. that's the strategy buy, hold, hope it works out, you're basically saying there is no other opportunity in the entire world to seize on. When you take a profit and sell an investment. Mm-hmm and look elsewhere. You're basically saying what I sold was the only opportunity I had, right. and I'm not gonna find any other, so why did I sell that investment? I shouldn't have done that. Right. Or money manager, you shouldn't have done that. These are strategies when you look is the same thing when people are going through their entire the entire web to find a good travel deal, go through the entire web to find good investment deals. Right, and what's interesting is,
0: is people feel if they sell it, and they go to a different area, they can't come back to it later. If it's a great company and it represents the best opportunity later, go back to that company. If the company you own gets overvalued, sell it, buy it
1: back later. And you nailed it. You nailed it when you said, if it's overvalued. The reason why many Canadians will spend more time figuring out their travel arrangements than their portfolio is because they understand the value of the ticket, The trip, the hotel, they know the pricing. They know what the value is. Good point. When you don't know the value and you believe in a story, a theme, a concept, how do you know what you own and what the value is? So when it goes up and you don't want to sell because you think it's going to go up and up and up, there is a concern there when you are down in the market and you've been given the advice, hang into that one investment, that stock, that bond, are you saying there's no other opportunity? Right. Now, you may own a company that's down for a longer period of time because the intrinsic value is still much higher than what the price is. So the appreciation is worth the risk. Right. Our expert on, um, uh, for the
0: disability tax credit, unfortunately we've had some technical problems uh, and he'll have to join us at a later show. So that gives us another opportunity, my friend, to talk a little bit about uh, process.
1: yeah, so and we prior, were talking about growth prior to the the commercial break, I was saying that the buy and hold concept and waiting for things to recover when you're transitioning to a living retirement can be detrimental to your retirement. yeah, because you're waiting and you're waiting, and it could be years before you break even and then you're starting to dip on that savings uh, to live your lifestyle in retirement, or get to that point where you you need that that amount of capital to retire, and holding on for that could be a big, big mistake. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what's the strategy that a person should look at uh, when it comes to, you're at this point, you're down, and I'll make up that number again, 20%. You got a, a list of of investments. Many of them uh, are good ideas at the time. Mm-hmm. They're not a portfolio. They weren't put together for a particular reason. They're just put because each individual stock is a good idea. But having said that, let's talk about it. it's a portfolio of a bunch of companies. You're down 20%. What the heck do you do now? Okay. So step one, you need to look at what your objectives are. Mm-hmm. What's your retirement plan look like? And I'm focusing only on, on people who are approaching or living in retirement. If you are approaching retirement and you need cash flow, when do you need that cash flow? And make an assessment on that and and let's build a income bucket, we call it, a strategy that has nothing to do with the stock market and basically cushion that money that you know for the next one, two, possibly three years, you've got that cash flow like it's money in the bank. You got it. You don't have to worry about the markets or geopolitical or anything. It's money in the bank. Okay. Then you've got your portfolio with the rest of your your capital. Okay, you're investing this. Now you have to have an economic thesis. Mm -hmm. Now you have to look at the world as of today, where things are going. Where are the most likely outcomes? What if you're wrong and things could be better? What if you're wrong and things could be worse? Most likely outcomes first. So base case, we call it. Base case but your base case has to have some conviction behind it. Sure it does. It has to have more than 50% probability of an outcome. Yep. And then you can say, well, it doesn't look good, but here's my base case, so maybe my worst case has a higher probability of happening than my best case scenario. So you can do that. Or you're optimistic, and you yep. can say my best case has higher probability than my worst case. Well, we prob- call it risk to the upside or risk to the downside. Fantastic, right? okay. So now you've got your your, your mechanism of where you want to go uh, in your, in your uh, thesis, Now you invest accordingly. And let's say, for example, you believe 50% things are gonna just truck along slowly, 25% probably things are gonna get better, and 25% probably things are gonna get worse. So you're pretty much hedging your bets. You have really no clue of which way things are gonna go better or worse, but you're saying things are just gonna truck along slowly. Okay, best case scenario, 25%. Where's the opportunity in that scenario? And don't put too much of your portfolio in the best case because you don't think it's a high probability of happening. Right. You put worst case scenario, how do I defend or protect you put a little bit of money in there. Right. You're not gonna put a lot of money in there because you don't feel that's a high outp- outp- probability of happening. The rest is trucking along, Right. if that's your thesis. Now, you build with five key pillars. Pillar number one you need to have is fixed income. I don't care what anybody says, yes, Dave, I'm actually saying it, you need bonds <laughs> in your growth portfolio. This is being recorded, a, you know that. Yeah, and it's okay. being recorded, you can <laughs> take pieces of this for For everybody out there, I've said, bonds are not very exciting. Yeah. They're not entertaining. Uh, but what I do know is that the bond market is the one of the best indicators of what's going to happen in the economy yeah. going forward. okay? And so, given today's interest rates, you do need some opportunity of fixed income in your portfolio. As Canadians, we do have some good quality Canadian companies. you need some exposure there. with us. and international exposure, the rest of the world there's a whole bunch of opportunity there, okay? Those are the three main there's two more. We call them the alternative pillars. Yep. You have to be humble enough to know you're not going to be 100% right. Yep. And things could go sour or things could have opportunity, but you can't take huge volatility when you're down this much. Right. So you need, I call them volatility minimizers. Airbags. It's like the Tums or Pepto Bismol after a long night of chicken wings. <laughs> you need something to calm that acid reflex down. Right. And that's what alternative investments can do for your portfolio. It just brings down all that volatility or acid reflex that you get. Right. You need exposure in there. You need research to figure out what kind of exposure in there. Now, I'm saying this in broad space because I don't want to give any recommendations to people of what to buy and how much to buy. But what I am saying is this process gets you to look at how your situation is today and then... Given the fact that you believe it's trucking along, I think this is gonna be a volatile market, you need to review monthly. Yep. And keep at it, and keep at it, and if your thesis changes, you adjust your portfolio. Exactly. If your thesis stays the same, you keep on reevaluating on a monthly basis. Yep. Most people will say, look at it once a year. Most people will say, look, try to rebalance every quarter. I am saying we, we do it monthly right now because the volatility is high. Only because the volatility is high. When it's just a normal market <clears throat> yep. condition with less standard deviation of yep. volatility, yep. you can go about quarterly or annually, it's yep. fine. Yep. But right now, this is the opportunity. Right. If you are a buy, hold and hope investor, you have to ride out the next possible three, four, five years just to break even. And if you dip into that capital, in that time frame, well, you'll never recover, right? Because you've spent that money, right? On the opposite side, I hear, well, just just buy dividend-paying stocks. Look at how the dividends are paying. Well, you have to be realistic of what your future looks like and what most humanistic behavior is. Tell someone to live on the exact same amount of income for the next three, four, five years in their retirement. Good luck. Yeah, it's so- not realistic. Well, explain that though. There's a number of problems
0: with, with that that dividend idea. Number one, to get, receive a dividend, for the most part, you're in equity, right? Equity generally tends to be more volatile, and the problem with volatility on the downside, with your point, is if you need more income than what those dividends are producing, and let's assume no dividend cuts or any changes, then you have to sell stock.
1: So you have a million dollar portfolio yeah. today. You buy a whole bunch of dividend stocks that, and that 5% average, so you're making fifty thousand dollars in dividends, and you're living off that cash flow. Right. The problem is, we've been doing this for a long time. A long time. Uh, we have never met somebody, not one of our clients, have spent the exact same amount of money every single year mm-hmm. over a five-year period. It just hasn't okay. happened. Nope. Especially this year coming out of COVID. Human beings don't spend the exact same amount of money. Forget about inflation. Let's assume there's no inflation. I don't mean inflation. The special trips they're taking, all the, you know, it's crazy. Things come up. Right. You want to do stuff. You want to spend money in different ways than you did the previous year. Right. And it might be more or less. The problem is if it's a little bit more than that $50,000 in our example, where are you going to get the money from? Right. You're going to have to sell a security. And that's your income. That future income goes down. That's right. And get ready for that snowball effect, and you won't notice it for five years. Right. You won't notice it for five years, and all of a sudden, how come I'm not making as much income? Right. What happened to my portfolio? Or you, you have to accelerate the selling. I haven't recovered, and I'm drawing. I've lost off the peak. I'm never going to recover. You want that kind of stress in your retirement? Right. Oh my lord. Right. That strategy, from taking a look at the economic viewpoints, your best case, worst case, uh, um, and scenario and core and base case scenario looking at the five pillars allocating based upon your thesis and then monthly review monthly activity so you know that you can mitigate all the risks that come up in this type of market right then you recover faster you can then move forward faster and the anxiety stress of the future is mitigated that was
0: enjoyable, I gotta say. Like I, I to- didn't have to do very much that uh, that particular it's segment. It's always
1: a great segment when you don't talk. <laughs> that,
0: was, that was awesome. Okay,
1: so pretty complex strategy. Again, you'd probably have to hear this over and over again. Yeah. So if you want to listen to this piece again, so you know how to do it, go to morethanmoneyradio.com. This, this will be posted uh, in about a week's time from today. So feel free to go back to that website and grab that. If you want to sit down, and see the process live in action. We're gonna be doing this at our upcoming seminar on Tuesday, November 15th, 7 p.m., live in person at the Silver Springs Golf and Country Cup. You do have to register for this, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
0: And thanks for tuning in for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. On behalf of Faisal myself, Dave, we look forward to joining you or talking to you again next week.
1: David Popowich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popowich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a
2: division of CIBC World Markets Inc a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.